You are listening to Girl Speak, a podcast series all about art, history, and contemporary culture with a girl's eye view. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 55 of Girl Speak, Girlhood in the Second World War, part 2. I'm Mary Horrell, a junior girl with Girl Museum. Thanks for tuning in, downloading or streaming us today. Girl Speak is produced by Girl Museum, the first and only museum in the world dedicated to celebrating girlhood. Girl Museum explores the art, history and culture of girls around the world in the past and present. All of our programmes are volunteer run and supported by listeners like you. Visit us on the web at www.girlmuseum.org. To many, the Second World War brought change and destruction, and this was no different to the girls who were living through this period. In the previous podcast, we looked at the experiences of the Allied girls. Today, we are skirting over to the Axis side to explore girlhood within Germany, Japan and Italy, as well as looking at the most highly persecuted group, the Jews, including one of the most famous girls of all time. First, we will go over to Germany, the main player in the Axis side and home to one of the most famous youth groups, the Hitler Youth. However, we will be focusing on the girls' movement called League of German Girls or Band of German Maidens. It holds similarities with the American and English girl guiding groups but differs in one main area, that of political stance and control. Before the Nazis seized power, the group was insignificant and many parents didn't want their daughters immersed in socialist ideas which were linked to the League. In fact, the large swing towards voting in the Nazis was largely to reinstate a Protestant idea, which would have left women and girls directly in the home sphere and not involved in the clubs. The membership of the League spiked in 1933, when the Nazis gained control, but it was not until 1936 when it was made compulsory for all to attend and all other organisations were banned, that the numbers really grew. By taking these actions, the party was trying to take control of the young of its country directly. The Nazi party's aims were to have every Aryan German girl in the League, but of course, this didn't actually happen. Many reasons account for this. For instance, some parents did not want their daughters attending the League, whether due to political beliefs or dislike of the state intervention within their daughters' lives. Most girls did want to join, however. Much like with the French resistance, girls quite like to be with their friends and involved in what they're doing, so they were no doubt drawn in by this into the League. Not to mention the fun, arts and sports which they could take part in in the League, and only through the League. Girls also had to work for at least a year with the League, usually in agriculture, but sometimes in war relief and kindergarten services. This helped the girls gain skills, but it also helped the Nazi party massively. With many tasks being aimed at girls between the ages of 10 and 14, frequently girls older than this started to drop out. One way of leaving the league was simply not attending. Some groups were hotter on this than others, but a surefire way to be able to leave the league was to get a job. The League attempted to combat this by offering classes for older girls, such as Faith and Beauty, as well as giving older girls higher positions within the League. Certain connotations were connected to the League as well. 
A major idea of the League was that women should be having children and not always in legitimate marriages, which again went against most Protestant families' ideals. In fact, League camping trips had to be stopped after 900 girls returned home pregnant in 1936 from a camping trip with the Boys' Leagues, leading to many parents feeling distressed and overruled. One thing is for sure, if you were a German girl in this period, you would have been deeply affected by the League of German Girls. It is hard to find many sources on Japanese girlhood during the Second World War. It is clear that Japan as a country was fully committed to their war effort, and this filtered through to the girls' schooling, through military drills and martial art practices becoming part of everyday life. To accompany this, the girls would have seen countless parades, broadcasts and ceremonies, confirming Japan's positive stance and great prowess throughout the war. Many inner-city children were also evacuated to the countryside, with a large emphasis on keeping up the war effort and morale, not on the children's education and well-being. Nowadays, there is a lack of awareness by Japanese people who are simply not taught the history of the Second World War, and when they are, it is in a very basic and propagandised way. The Nidashika girls were Japanese girls situated in Chiran to bid farewell to the young kamikaze pilots. These girls were often holding fragile pink flowers as they waved goodbye, which in Japan is a sign of femininity. They not only bade farewell to them, they also cleaned and did the soldiers' laundry. They were employed for only a few months to say goodbye to the last few hundred men who were going out on missions they would never come back from. One girl, Kawashiru, recollected how the men never looked sad, but brave. But nonetheless, once the men had flown off, the girls would go and change their tear-stained pillows. There was not much choice in the matter for the young men. Either they flew the mission, or they were killed. And for many, it was better to die a hero with pretty girls waving goodbye to them than to desert, desert their country in their hour of need. Recently, Japan's treatment of other countries' girls has come to light, such as Japan taking Korean girls to act as their comfort women throughout the war. All of these girls, some as young as 13, were either taken, tricked or forced into submitting to 20 to 40 men a day, with severe consequences for the girls if they did not. One girl, Chong uk taken at the age of 13, was threatened with fire to her genital regions until she submitted. She bled vastly. She recounts how when one girl questioned why this was happening, she was bound and gagged before being rolled over a bed of nails until the nails were covered in blood and flesh and she was beheaded. These girls could not help catching various venereal diseases, but they were common and these girls were either sterilised with a hot sword to their private parts or simply killed. The girls who survived out of tens of thousands of Korean girls and other ethnicities submitted to these unimaginable circumstances have since become advocates for women's rights and demanded justice. Seven decades after the war, on the 28th of December 2015, Japan formally apologised and compensated the surviving Korean, surviving Korean comfort girls. In Italy, many citizens felt they were forced into war. Mussolini, the dictator, joined forces with Hitler on the 19th of June, 1940, and the country was forced into a war 
for which he was totally unprepared. Mussolini's actions have largely been phased out of Italian common memory, but there are still some accounts, and we will be looking at Franca Mercati's Martin's story. She was an upper-class girl of 11 when the war started, and she endured much hardship throughout the next five years. Firstly, one of her brothers was killed in action, and shortly after this, her family received news that her other brother, Eduardo, had gone missing in action. Luckily, due to her father's cousin's position at the Vatican, they were invited by Pope Pius to visit, so that they might try and find her brother. After a long journey involving rickety trains and hitch lifts, they arrived at the pristine place and were greeted by her father's cousin and taken to a private room. Within a few hours, they had located her brother at a British prisoner of war camp, where he was helping others using his multilingual skills. This was, of course, great news, and they greatly rejoiced. Afterwards, they had a meeting with Pope Pius, where the finest cakes Franca had seen during the war were served. Upon leaving, she asked her father why he could have such nice food, and he replied, The Vatican is like God's place on earth, and they are allowed to have these nice things. The Pope is one of the most important men in the world. His holiness needs to be well fed so he can concentrate on helping all of the souls that need his help in these sad times. Throughout Franca's tale, religion is at the heart of her family's hope. War was very much on the family's doorstep. Whilst Franca and her family started the war in a luxurious house in Florence, they were soon forced out by bombing and rising agitation. Franca herself was involved in one such episode whilst at her art class at the Uffizi. While she was working, black shirts, or Italian fascists, barged their way in and threw their students' artwork and easels out of the windows, including Franca's. The only paintings they did not destroy belonged to the old masters, and this was because they had orders from the German troops that they should be handed over for their monetary value. Once the family had moved to Tuscany, Franca missed death twice by mere inches. Firstly, when she was on a train back from school with five school friends. They heard the unmistakable sound of a plane coming towards them. Franca and one of her friends quickly ran from the stationary train and down into the subway. Two bombs hit the train and platform, and sadly, three of their friends died on impact. After this, Franca was homeschooled. The second incident happened in March 1943, when her father came home and was acting extremely anxiously. Suddenly, the air raid siren sounded and he demanded that they leave the house. Once on the beach, he explained that some German officers had set up office in the house next door and they were therefore in mass danger. After the all clear, they went to go back to the house, only to see a smouldering pile of ash. At the sight of this, her mother exclaimed, As long as I have my family around me, it doesn't matter. Those things are gone, but let's thank God we were spared. After this, the family lived in one small room at Pinanore, where they were shadowed by Nazi soldiers whilst the war for Italy was fought between the Allies and the Axis. In early 1945, after many bomb casualties, Franca heard the sound of bagpipes floating across the air. She looked outside and saw the Scots Guard coming to liberate her and her family, finally. One story which has to be covered is that of a girl who wrote a diary and thought that later on, neither I nor anyone else will be interested in the musings of a 13-year-old schoolgirl. 
how wrong Anne Frank was. Her story has become more popular than she ever imagined. It has far outlived the war and she remains one of the most popular figures of the 20th century. Her story is that of a normal teenage girl, but with the pressure of war seeping through every page of her printed diary. The diary gives us unprecedented insight into the direct effect of war. Even before Anne has gone into the annex, the changes her family felt due to the war were extreme. As early as 1933, they had migrated from Germany to Austria to try and escape the Nazis' wrath, and by 1940, the good times were hard to come by. By 1942, their situation was even more desperate, as Anne's de dad tells her, Don't you worry, we'll take care of everything. Just enjoy your carefree life while you can, showing that he had clear signs of fear within him. Whilst the family were used to wearing a yellow star in their arm to signify their religion and status, the element which rushed her family into hiding was her 16-year-old sister being called up by the Germans. The family snuck out early in the morning, dressed in all of their clothes, as no Jew would dare leave the house with a suitcase in their situation, and moved into the infamous annex behind her father's previous place of work. One of the most important themes we see in this diary is the growth and transition we see in Anne. While she enters the annex as a young childish girl, she leaves as a woman. She appears like many 13-year-old girls at the beginning innocent and immature, and only caring for boys and school chatter. After a few weeks of living in the annex with her family, she states how she just doesn't fit in with them, a typical teenage motto, which is no doubt a feeling increased by the Petri dish environment. Initially, Anne snaps often at her mother, causing great tension within the annex. She then learns to control some of her feelings, and instead rants about her mother in her diary exclaiming at one point, I hope mother will never read this or anything else I've ever written. However, by the end of the diary, she still does not see eye to eye with her mother, but has grown to understand more about her mother and appreciate some of her actions. She instead writes of matters of great importance, for instance, gender equality. At one point stating, one of the many questions that has often bothered me is why women have been, and still are, thought to be so inferior to men. It's easy to say it's unfair, but that's not enough for me. I'd really like to know the reasons for this great injustice. A similar maturing of thoughts can be seen through Anne's reflection on war. Before she enters the annex, she writes little of war, despite it having a large impact on her life. Like you may expect, she does talk negatively of those who persecute her, but she also shows maturity and positivity later on, especially when she states, in the long run, the sharpest weapon of all is a kind and gentle spirit. This shows how war forced her and many other girls to mature far quicker than their peacetime counterparts. What we do see is a girl who flourishes under extreme adversity, and despite her untimely death in Bergen-Belsen mere months before the end of the war, she's gone on to live for far longer and inspire many more girls than she ever had thought possible. Over the course of the last two podcasts, we have seen similarities and differences of both Allied and Axis girlhoods. However, the differences appear between each country and not between two sides. In the Axis side, Japan were entirely dedicated to the war effort shown by the Nidishiku girls, whereas the national lack of enthusiasm in Italy shows a stark contrast. 
Similarities were not confined to sides either. State control was an important force for the Germans and the Soviets, despite the two countries being enemies. It is clear that the girls who lived through the Second World War were changed deeply by what they experienced, and it had a lasting effect on them throughout their lives, both positively and negatively. These stories display extreme resilience and courage by the girls from all walks of life. It is important to remember that one of the most well-known people who lived through the Second World War is Anne Frank, who to this day helps to inspire girls with such beautiful and peace-inspiring words as Think of all the beauty still left around and be happy, despite her own tragic circumstance. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Be sure to tune in to our next podcast on March 31st, where we will round up the latest girl-related news. Also, please help to support future productions of Girlspeak by visiting our Podbean site at girlmuseum.podbean.com and clicking support Girlspeak. Thank you and have a wonderful day. If you like hearing a fresh, girl-positive perspective on the internet, please support us with a tax-deductible donation easily made on our website. Our music is courtesy of up-and-coming artist Han Av. You can find her SoundCloud link on our website.